coming up on the Money Beat podcast. MND Partners Tim Anderson joins us from the floor of the New York Stock Exchange to give us the view from there. And our own Mike Bird and John Sindow join us from London to talk about the pounding that UK and European banks are taking on Monday. This is Money Beat from the Wall Street Journal. Now from our studios in New York, here are Paul Vigna and Stephen Grosser. Welcome to the Money Beat Podcast. Paul and Stephen here in the studio on uh, another uh, day two day two Brexit sell-off. Another pretty pretty rough day for the markets. Not as bad as Friday, although there is still plenty of time in the trading day as we tape this. Uh, the, the number that I'm, I'm sort of keeping an eye on, it's not the most important number in the market, actually, but it's one that I think is just getting the most attention now is the fact that the S&P 500 is right around 2000, the 2000 level. I think it's more psychologically important than anything else. It also uh, broke through its 200 quite and Yes, yes, sped up. yes. Uh, so you know there are there are a lot. The, the point in bringing that up in the first place is just to say that there are a lot of numbers to keep an eye on at this point. There is a lot happening, and to help us get a sense of it, we have uh, invited our friend Tim Anderson on the show today. Tim is the managing director at MND Partners down in New York, down on the stock exchange. Tim, how are you? I'm good. So uh, let me just ask you today. I mean, you're you're down there on Wall Street. Just what is the sense? What, 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 what's the, the feeling in the market right now? Well, I think that uh, there's there's a number of different things. Um, we're very close to the end of the second quarter, mm-hmm. uh, and the um, you know we, we kind of had the feeling coming in today that uh, today this would probably be a down week, right? But some of the selling might get buffered a little bit by uh, uh, managers that were looking to uh, protect their first half performance. Uh, performance for the first half of the year is uh, is very important for a lot of managers. They, they use it for marketing purposes. They use it, you know, and, and, and a lot of people that commit money to funds that don't have, uh, um, you know, a long lockup. Uh, they may decide after the first half whether or not they're going to continue to commit or not. Yeah, um, and the, the, and this time of year really has been has marked um, a high point in the market on a, on, a, on a number of occasions, including last year when the Russell uh, uh, 2000 made its all-time high on June uh, 22nd or 23rd. Um, despite the fact that the S&P 500 last Thursday was uh, less than half a percent from a new all-time high, the Russell was was nowhere near where it was a year ago in late June. Right. Um, and of course, the you know the the real aside from you know all the stock market volatility we had last week, the real you know the big Kahuna is the the currencies and the and the and the you know the British pound was just an unprecedented you know ten percent plus move in one day that just does not happen in right. the world of in the currency markets. Well, not for uh, a currency like uh, that, at least. Obviously, event driven. Yeah. Um, and obviously, maybe exacerbated a little bit by the fact that at five to five fifteen the day before, it had traded up to one fifty on the initial reports that there were polls out showing that uh, the uh, the stay campaign was going to win by uh, fifty two to forty eight. Well, at least they got the numbers right. Yeah, they yeah. at least had that. Yeah. Uh, 
you wanted to jump well, in one of the things you know in your note this morning that I found interesting, and it's one of the th- one of the things we've been writing a lot about and talking about was the the VIX, and I was sort of you know last week you saw the S and P sort of rally. But the VIX was, you know, throwing out signs of, you know, that they expected volatility to come. Um, and the, the VIX proved right. Boy, it sure did. You know, it is just so unusual for the VIX to spike so sharply at a market top. It just doesn't do that. Yeah. The last time the VIX was at this level was just right, right around the February lows. <laughs> and then I think in the August sell-off, it was right. even a little, it was even higher but usually the VIX is like a a great contra indicator, almost a you know at the a throw in the towel type. I need to do something. I don't know what to do. And then of course retail gets sucked into buying it. And I would never um, suggest that retail people play the VIX, in, in, other than I mean it's kind of an adults only product. Um, and you got to play it just for a very short period of time because there's so, there's it's not like other products that expires on a Wednesday and there's so much embedded premium in it. And unless your timing is really right, it's hard to make money anywhere near the move that you get in the underlying. Yeah, yeah, you know you. Uh, so now the VIX. I, I really think that what happened is that I just think the institutions wanted to a hedge with the market just right at its all-time high. Yeah. There's so many times the market's closed above 2,100 in the last six months and then in the last year and then not made a new all-time high. And I just think they just must have piled into the VIX almost irrespective of how high they were driving it hmm. to have something. Right. Do, do you think that, because it's, it's interesting, you, you look at the markets today and, and the Dow's down, the S&P's down, the indexes are all down, right? And... The headlines are that they've they've gone back into the red for the year. Do you think people basically had their whole first six months of this year wiped out, or did they hedge? Did they did they manage to offset some of that? Uh, how, how I, I guess the question is how if you, you know if you're in, if you're an income fund and you've been buying uh, and you've been buying a lot of, of closed end funds and you've been buying utilities and you've been buying uh, higher higher yielding products other than of course the banks yeah um you know maybe maybe you're still up on the year but yeah i mean now yeah we, we, we were you know against for the year you know the media loves to make a big deal about how now the the averages are now the s&p 500 is negative on the year but it's certainly not like people are gonna look at their 401ks at the end of the quarter and see it down, you know, it down, you know, fifteen percent, right, right? Like they might have sure. if they'd have looked at where they were in Febu- in mid February. Mm-hmm. Maybe maybe down one or two percent. Nobody, I don't think anybody's really going to freak out over that. Right. But that notwithstanding, we're looking at potentially. Last year was basically a flat year. We're looking at, you know, maybe. Another flattish year or a year that's going to have um, low single-digit one way or the other at, <laughs> yeah. at the end. One of the uh, getting back to your your note today too. Also, talk to me a little bit about the Dow transports. I think this gets to our you know all our Dow theorists friends out there. Um, what are they sort of indicating to you now about where the market might be heading? 
Well, you have to kind of respect the price action in it because, I mean, there's a lot of different components to the transports. Obviously, there's the airlines and there's the rails and then there's the things like FedEx and, you know, that are just a little bit different. But it used to be, obviously, that uh, the airlines would trade contra to the price of oil. Um and uh, the, the 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 thing about the transports is that they've been such a, a just a great pre early sign of the broader market averages. They peaked out at nine, right, 92 or 9300 in uh, December of 2014, probably six months before the rest of the market peaked out. They started trending lower relentlessly. And they bottomed out at 6,600 on a closing basis hmm. on January 20 of this year, where the rest of the market didn't bottom out until uh, uh, February 11 or 12. Um, so they've been pretty good leading indicator. You know, they got up to 8,100. It's below 7,500. It's the first time they've been below 7,500 since. February 8th or 9th, I believe. So uh, it's, you know, a little bit of a warning sign. I'm not necessarily a, a, a devout Dow theorist type guy, mm -hmm. although I think you have to use it as one tool like anything else. Uh, but it, it's a warning sign. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, we have to leave it there. All right. Oh, no, no. Oh, yeah, okay. <laughs> Grocer gave me a look there for a second. No, uh, we do have to leave it there. Tim, I want to thank you for talking. Look, I know you've got a lot to do today. You're busy, so I'll let you get back to it. Thanks for spending a few minutes with us. All right, guys. Have a great day. Yep, yeah, you, you too. And we will be back right after this message. I'm Veronica Dagger, and I want to retire rich. How about you? Then listen to the Watching Your Wealth podcast. We'll help you get there. For more information, check us out at wsj.com slash podcast and find us on iTunes, Stitcher, and now Spotify. WSJ Podcasts. Listen ambitiously. This is Money Beat from the Wall Street Journal. Now from our studios in New York, here are Paul Vigna and Stephen Grosser. Welcome back to the Money Beat Podcast. And, folks, if you want to check out more great podcasts that we produce here at the uh, Wall Street Journal, look at wsj.com slash podcasts. You can follow us on Twitter. We are at WSJ Podcasts. And you can become a subscriber on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and you can look for us on the Google Play Music app on your Android devices. And... Uh, a lot of ands. Let's get into it now. Uh, okay, so look, we're still talking about Brexit. It is uh, clearly the number one story in the markets. Uh, y yes, yes, Stephen Grosser? Well, I just want to help I, you. I mean, I know Mike was there. Mike was there all night on Thursday, you know, right. Thursday into Friday. Right. As the votes were coming in, and I just want, what was the reaction? You're, you're, you know, you know, you're, you're, you're skipping, you're, you're, you're burying my, my, my lead. What was your lead? Well, I don't know yet, but I was going to introduce Mike and John in a very okay. artful manner, and now you've blown it. Introduce? No, 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 I, I, it's done. My, 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 my rhythm, my, my, everything's gone now. So, all right, look, uh, we're still talking about Brexit. We're going to talk about the banks. Mike Bird, John Sinjao Freer from our London bureau. Uh, 
Go ahead, grocer. Go ahead. Now I just want to know what the the, the the sort of the feeling was in in the room when you know the, the votes were coming in and it became clearer and clearer that you know um, the UK was voting to leave. Uh, it was pretty amazing. Uh, it was yeah, quite something. I mean, markets as polls closed. We got a, an on-the-day poll from YouGov, one of the big pollsters yeah. mm-hmm. here, that showed uh, Remain narrowly in the win, uh, narrowly in the lead. Um, the pound rallied to over $1.50. Um, the Betfair odds of uh, the UK leaving the EU fell to about 6%. Um, as the results came in, in sort of the next four hours, that all completely reversed. Um, particularly a couple of results from the the northeast of England that showed um, bigger leads for leave in the areas where they should have been getting thin leads and um, and you know pretty much 50-50 remain lead in areas that remain should have been leaving everything reversed the pound fell to a dollar thirty two. Um, it was absolutely enormous. And you were you were writing the pound story, if I'm not mistaken. Um, so you were, like, it was hard for you to <laughs> keep up with the reversal there, and especially yeah. early on in the in, in the night or late for you, early for us. Yeah, I mean, I I have honestly never seen the the only thing I've ever seen a little bit like that was the uh, the move in the Swiss franc. Uh, last year right, when yeah, the, right. the SMB unpegged, but I mean that was that was a fixed currency, so it's always got the potential to move like that. A, a free floating advanced economy currency move of, of that magnitude, um, I have never seen anything else like that. Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure anybody really has. And so, so now you know, I'm looking at the the banks. Banks here are down. Banks there are down. Um, I'm banks, s- banks in Europe are getting crushed. Are getting yeah, you know, I was going to say I'm already starting to see some some dire type headlines. I mean, a lot of stuff is floating around. Uh, we, we have one headline: Rome mulls capital injection to support Italian banks after Brexit shock. So you already have officials talking about what they are going to have to do for the banks. What is the situation? Let's start there, of course. What is the situation over there with Europe's banks? Well, I mean, to be honest, they've sort of been battered since the start of the year, and, mm-hmm. and you know, it's like a it's like a long running story in the sense that you know, long interest rates they depress their uh, net interest margins. Also, I mean, obviously negative rates because they do not pass on the uh, negative rates to their retail customers are a huge issue. And on top of that, you know, we've even had like the February scares about whether, you know, the new like contingent liabilities and uh, you know, sort of how they would be triggered and what they mean for markets, right? Like people were not sure what Cocos were and how they would be activated. And on top of that, of course, now you add this, um, which is, well, quite unwelcome by the sector in the sense that, as, as we've been discussing here, um, banks in the UK uh, seem to be uh, quite at risk of what you know the post-Brexit scenario might look like because um, to get a passport to offer free financial services to the rest of the EU, uh, they probably Britain would need to you know have a similar deal to what Norway has, which sort of would defeat the purpose of leaving the EU in the first place because they would have to you know contribute to the EU budget and, and follow most of the rules that in theory Brexit was about avoiding. So so it everything's very unclear of course, but you know, uh, you add this on top of a very rough year for banks and this is the result. Well, well I, you know, one question I have is is 
How long can the banks deal with that uncertainty? I mean, this is not going to be resolved overnight. This is not going to be resolved in, in a week. And you're going to have basically everybody in, in limbo. Is anyone talking about that? Is just talking about, like, how long can we just kind of grind through this? Yeah, that, that's been a – it's been a major topic, yeah. um, definitely. The, the uncertainty is – I mean, people don't know in the UK, from the UK's perspective, um, David Cameron, the Prime Minister, has said that he is resigning. Um, right. He'll step down. He wants a new Prime Minister by October. Um, that's a long time, okay? That's, that's yeah. you know, yeah. in, in political terms, maybe they think that's not a long time. In market terms, to have absolutely no clarity on this stuff until then is a huge amount of time. Right. Um, and, you know, banks are, are extremely sensitive to investment trends. You've seen that in, in other companies in the U.K. as well, especially things related to, to real estate. Um, they're extremely sensitive to investment, and they are getting killed at the moment. Um, and this sort of thing is a real plague for them. Um, even once you get a new prime minister, those negotiations are going to take months, years. Mm -hmm. um, we don't know what exact relationship the government is going to pursue with the EU. That matters a huge amount for, as John was saying, the stuff about passporting. You know, the, the exact relationship you end up with is going to be hugely important. So at the moment, there, there is no certainty on any of those political issues. Yeah, like the, the fall definitely seems to be the first sort of time frame here, at least from what we're hearing now, because like most economists and, and people in the city seem to believe that the Bank of England also will not uh, move till you know, the November uh, date in which they release their uh, inflation report, which is normally a marked date for them to move. And, and most of them seem to um, believe that, you know, beyond further liquidity, the Bank of England will also not move. So it feels like, you know, we'll be sort of at least paralyzed till the fall here. Wow. How much of that uncertainty is also, you know, pushing the markets down right now? I mean, I, I think it's um, it's the greater part of it. I, I you know, uh, you, you look at what's actually happening and Brexit has, has next to no immediate economic effect on, you know, consumption, imports, exports. There might be a bit of changing at the margin. It's really the investment channel and that is really down to the uncertainty of just not knowing what will be happening in 18 months, two years, three years. Um, and, and why would you invest capital in that sort of environment? Right. right. And, and the grueling thing of it is there's there's simply no way to short-circuit this process and make it go faster. Well, the other thing, though, that really I think, you know, is a big part of this is negative rates. I mean, you had the ECB come in with negative rates. That hurts the banks, and it's yeah. under the hope that they could get the economy going before they really hurt the banks. Right. But how does this play in? You know, this is sort of a, you know, a, a bump in that plan, it seems like, to me. <laughs> yeah, bump's one way to describe yeah, it. Yeah, that might right, not be right. the best way of describing it. The yeah, crater. There seems, to be, there seems to be agreement that the Bank of England will not pursue interest, uh, negative interest rates. I mean, obviously, it's, it's too soon to tell. Yeah. But, um, like, the bank's view has always been, like, um, and obviously this was before now, but the, the zero-hour bound, to, to say it this way, was 0.5%, which is where interest rates have, have been left for uh, seven years. And, um, I mean... Now it seems that they could cut it further. Like it does seem that uh, they could cut it to maybe even zero. Uh, the reason for that being that you know um, Mark Carney, the government of the Bank of England, has always said that uh, such low interest rates are a threat to the profitability of the financial system. And obviously, you know, post financial crisis, the financial system was very weak. And now 
you know, listening to the rate setters and the officials of the Bank of England, it does seem that we could go lower and we could, you know, join the zero club, but um, they do seem very reluctant to try what all these other central bankers have tried, which is negative interest rates, which, as you were saying, I mean, in, in the end, they're just a form of lower interest rate, but because of the, you know, existence of physical cash and, right. you know, how bad it looks for a, a bank's retail business to start charging your customers to have a deposit at your bank. So that, mm-hmm. that kind of means that, obviously, you know, it's not a normal interest rate cut. The other, one of the interesting things, too, I found is right before the vote, I think the week before the vote, we were talking about what would happen to, you know, the guilt, you know, what was, mm-hmm. and we got that answer, and it's pushed right. down. And in some ways, that might actually, you know, help, you know, allow, Mr., uh, you know, Carney not to have to cut rates. Um, well, yes, of course, in, in, in a way, uh, you know, the, the borrowing costs um, are referenced by guilds, so, so there is this sort of, uh, you know, risk pursuing. But in the end, I mean, guilds have mostly gone down also because um, the expectation of, of interest rates has gone down. So oh, okay. as we were saying now, like, you know, now there is a, like the, the, the chance that the next move by the Bank of England will be a cut. Like, that's what markets are expecting now. Okay. And, and that's why, you know, guilds go down. Also, obviously, there is, like, the risk uh, off environment. Uh, like, you know, when we discuss this here, I personally had no doubt this is what would happen, but markets still seem to, like many people still seem to believe that, you know, the sort of um, foreign investors might suddenly shun guilds and, and, you know, that they would become a bit distressed. Um, I think what's happened is like the normal thing. You know, what's not normal is what happens in the Eurozone, which is like sovereign bonds go, like their yields go up in some countries when there is a, a moment of panic. Right. Yeah, yeah. All right. Uh, we have to leave it there. John, Mike, I want to thank you guys. I appreciate it. I know you've had a crazy couple of days there, so we appreciate the time you give us. Thanks very much. All right, Cheers. fellas. And, and great work, too. Yeah, absolutely great work. Yeah. All right. Uh, we will talk to them soon. We will talk to you out there in podcast land soon, too. I want to thank you for listening, as always, and uh, look for us you know, later this week. WSJ Podcasts. Listen ambitiously.